we've worked through the book, and uh, if you remember, uh, Jude, in verse number three, tells the people that he wanted to write to them concerning their common salvation. He wanted to write a book that was encouraging, that was about what Jesus Christ had done for them, what they had in common in Christ. He wanted to talk about that common salvation, but he knew that it was necessary for, for him to exhort them to contend for the faith. Why? Because there were teachers, there were certain men crept in unawares that were ungodly men. They were wicked men. They were fleshly men. They were sensual men. Uh, they were lustful men. They were men who fulfilled their own desires, their cravings. And their teaching reflected that. And their teaching was for their own advancement or for their own gain and for their own satisfaction. And so um, we, most of the book is kind of dedicated to those men. But last time we got to verse 17. And I talked about how, how do we contend for the faith? What are we supposed to do with these false teachers? And it's interesting that Jude doesn't really give us necessarily a direct answer for these false teachers, but he does give us some instruction on how we can live. And so he kind of ends up, ends the book with three different things. And then the first one, we looked at fortifying our own lives. How can I fortify my own spiritual Christian life? And in verse 17, we looked at, we needed to remember. And he goes through and talks about how they were told about these false teachers and they needed to keep that in the front of their minds. And then in verse 20, we looked at how he said they needed to be building up themselves in the most holy faith. They needed to be building up their spiritual lives on the foundation, Jesus Christ. They also needed to be praying in the Holy Ghost. They needed to keep themselves in the love of God. And we talked about that wasn't talking about salvation. He's not talking about holding on, like you can't lose yourself. Once saved, always saved. You can't lose it. So when he talks about keeping yourselves in the love of God, he's not talking about the possibility of losing your salvation. He's talking about a practical maintenance a practical life that stays within the love of God and lives that way, as if you have the love of God, as if you've experienced it. And then we looked at the last part there, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, looking for the Lord's return, looking, listening for the trumpet, waiting for the Lord, expecting that, and living as if that could happen at any moment. And now, in verses 22 and 23, we switch from fortifying our lives to reaching into the lives of other people. And what's really interesting is um, I, I made a mistake. I read some commentaries. And uh, there, there's several different ideas about these two verses. Some people see three different people in these two verses. In verse 22, some people see what they call a doubter. And I think they get that from the word difference. The word difference literally means a... It, it, it means to have a contradiction in your mind. It means to differentiate. And, the, and some believe that there were people who were doubting what was true or what truth was and what they had been taught, and they didn't know what to believe and what not to believe because of these false teachers. And then in verse 23, you have these others, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Some believe that these people were people who had taken the false teaching swallowed it hook, line, and sinker, and were living wicked, sensual lives just like the teachers that taught them the false teaching. And then, of course, I think they pulled the third one out of the end of the verse, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. There were those living among them who were just wicked. I mean, they just, 
They were unsaved and they just lived fleshly, carnal lives. Um, that's honestly not really what I was thinking when I was reading and studying this before I read the commentaries. Um, and then I read another commentary that there are people who believe there's only two. You have the one in verse 22, the doubter. And then in verse 23, you have those who are living wickedly. Those that need to be saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire. And so I want to come from that, that perspective tonight. And I want, I, I want to look at how we can impact people. How we can reach people. And so the first thing I want you to think about is that of compassion. Compassion. In verse 22, it says, and if some have compassion, making a difference. What's really interesting, and this doesn't really, a lot of you are going to be mad at me for this, and if pastor was here, he'll be mad at me for this. But that word compassion, it means mercy. And that's not really a strong suit for Platte Valley Baptist Church sometimes. And we will, we will honestly admit that. We took the spiritual gift test, and most of us failed on the mercy department. We did. But that's exactly what this word means. It means mercy. It actually means pity. But you know what? In our human minds, from our perspective, we don't like pity. How many of you like to be pitied? You know why we don't like to be pitied? Because when we think of pity, we think of somebody belittling or mocking us. Treating us like, oh, you poor little thing, you can't handle it. And so they pity us or they show us mercy. Oh, you poor soul, you can't do that, so let me help you. And we don't like to be treated that way. But the, re the reality is this, is God's mercy, God's pity doesn't treat you that way. God's mercy, when God looks at us and God realizes we need mercy, we need pity, God sees our inability and he feels bad for us in our inability, but he wants to help us to make us stronger, to make us successful, to make us be what he wants us to be. And so God's mercy, God's pity is actually intended to fix our problem. And he doesn't belittle us. He doesn't make fun of us. God knows we're human. God knows we have weaknesses and that we make mistakes. And so God doesn't treat us that way when we need his mercy or his pity. Unfortunately, we don't always treat each other that way. When you need pity, oh, you're sick, you're throwing up, oh, you got this problem, that problem, suck it up. That's how we tend to treat each other. And I get that on some levels, and, and, and I understand that kind of thing. But compassion should be a part of our life. Pity and mercy, we should feel for people. And so here, Jude says, on some, have compassion, making a difference. I shared this with, I don't know if it was this morning or if it was in Sunday school, I don't know which one it was, but I shared this with you about another word, and this word, have compassion, is an imperative. Now, can anybody tell me what an imperative is from this morning? It is a command. He is not saying, hey, if you feel like it, be compassionate. Hey, you know, if you can squeeze it into your schedule, or hey, if they deserve it, be compassionate. He doesn't say that. He says, on some, have compassion. It's a command. And what's really interesting, like that other word this morning, it's in a form that it's a habit. It's a constant action, day after day. 
I'm compassionate, I'm compassionate, I show compassion, I'm compassionate, I'm compassionate, I'm compassionate. I don't know about you, but sometimes I struggle to be compassionate. I do. You can ask my wife. She will tell you. Wes struggles with compassion. And so I want to look at a few verses about our Lord. So go to Matthew chapter number 9. Matthew chapter number 9. And look at verse 36. Matthew 9, 36. Here is Jesus. He's been preaching. He's been teaching. He's been healing. And in verse 36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Here, Jesus Christ sees the multitudes and he is moved with compassion. Moved with compassion. That word moved with compassion literally refers to like his inner guts. Like he gets this intense, guttural, like almost a queasiness. And he is moved with compassion. He hurts for these people. He feels for these people. He is moved with compassion. If you were to go over to Mark chapter 6, verse 34, it's Mark's account of the same situation. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep, not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Compassion. Jesus showed compassion. Go over to 1 Peter chapter 1. Take your Bibles. You're going all the way to the other end of the Bible now. 1 Peter chapter number 1. I think I know where that's at. 1 Peter 1, verse number 3. Notice this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. By his mercy, he has begotten you and me. We have been born again. We have been born unto this lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why? Because of his mercy. Jesus Christ showed mercy. God shows mercy. The book of Psalms is full of verses that talk about how God is rich in mercy. God shows mercy. God gives mercy. The book of Psalm is full of of mercy. Go over to Ephesians chapter 2. Go to Ephesians chapter number 2. I think these are some of the greatest verses in the New Testament right here. Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 9. Here, Paul says, and you hath he quickened. That means to be made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversations in time past. In other words, we all lived after the same Uh, like these children of disobedience after the same spirit, we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Look at verse four. 
But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come we might show the exceeding riches of, the gra- of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But God, who is rich in mercy, and wherewith, in that love, or in that mercy, he loved you and me. And he made us his own. He took us out of that, that wickedness, that, that, that spirit that worked in the children of disobedience. He took us out of that fleshly, carnal, lustful desire, that lifestyle we were living before we got saved. And in his mercy, he changed all that because of his compassion, because of his pity. The reality is this. Spiritually, we need pity. Because we need God's solution, because we have no solution. But God does. We needed that compassion. We need that mercy. And so God has demonstrated that mercy towards us. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, two popular verses. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The mercy of God is new every morning that you and I wake up. His mercy is new. His mercy God is a merciful, compassionate God. So we are to demonstrate compassion. Go back to Jude, verse 21, or 22. So we are to demonstrate compassion. But here's the thing. While we are being compassionate, according to Jude 22, we are to be making a difference. We are to be making a difference. Compassion is great. Compassion is great. You can feel bad for somebody. You can see somebody's need. You can feel for them. You can get emotional. You can shed tears. You can break down. But what's the point if you don't do anything about it? What's the point if you don't make a difference? Compassion is worthless. So you feel bad. What would he do? I mean, does it really matter that you feel bad? Does it? Does it make you some great person because you feel bad for somebody? No. So here Jude says, on some have compassion, making a difference. They happen at the same time. They happen at the same time. Um, one day I was coming out of Walmart. It's the best part of Walmart, coming out. Um, I was coming out of Walmart, and this, this elderly lady had this big bag of dog food, and she saw me walking. She said, hey, would you, would, you, would you put this in my car? And I was like, no, get it yourself. And I kept walking. I was like, sure. So I picked it up. I put it in the car. Now, I could have been like, ma'am, I'm really sorry you're unable to lift that. And I feel really bad for you. That's a bummer. And I could have kept walking. And everybody would say, man, you're a horrible person. I can't believe you do that. But you know what? We do that all the time. We see people all the time. And we fail to pay attention. Or we feel bad for them. But we fail to do anything about it. Yes, I picked it up. I put it in her car. She gave me 20 bucks. No. (laughs) But listen. Does our feeling or feeling bad for somebody really matter if we don't do something? And I would say it doesn't. 
And I think that's why Jude said it the way he did, because we need to strive to make a difference. You know, you go through, well, I'm getting ahead of myself, so I won't get there yet. But anyway, making a difference. Look up one verse from that, verse 21, and notice how Christ made a difference. Notice what it says. He says, keep yourselves in love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto what? Eternal life. Do you realize Jesus Christ, God the Father, looked down on us and said, they have no hope. And he showed compassion, he showed mercy, he showed pity, or he felt that, and God sent his only begotten son to die for you and me and to give us eternal life. God didn't sit up in heaven and go, eh, bummer. God didn't do that. God went, they're helpless, they're hopeless. And so what did God do? God provided an answer, a solution. And that's really what we should strive to do when we should show compassion by providing a solution, by helping, by helping. So how do we, how do we be more compassionate? How do we be more compassionate? I wanna give you four quick things. Number one, Remember your own need for mercy. Remember that you needed mercy. And you're not as awesome as you think you are. You're not. Neither am I. The reality is, is you need mercy. You need compassion in your life. We all do. And so remember that. Remember in Matthew 18, remember that servant who came to his master and he owed this redemption ridiculous debt and he was completely incapable of paying it and he said man unless my my master come and require this debt of me so he says i'm going to go to appeal to him and he goes to his master and he appeals to his master and he says master i can't pay this debt and he weeps and he breaks down and the master forgives him the debt and it was some astronomical amount of money but then what did that servant do he turned around and found somebody that owed him pennies and put him under his thumb, pay me what you owe me. Remember that? Listen to the master's response in Matthew 18, verses 32 through 34. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, oh, thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee and his lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him like this master said did you not have a responsibility to reciprocate that same pity that same mercy that i showed you and ladies and gentlemen we need to remember that we need mercy also we need to remember that god extended mercy unto us even when we didn't deserve it. So what does it matter who they are, what they've done, what they're, what's going on in their life, what choices they've made, whether or not they deserve it, why does it really matter? Who am I to decide whether or not you deserve my compassion or my mercy? Who am I? Give me another thing. So remember your own need of mercy. Remember that God extended mercy to you when you didn't deserve it. And then secondly, slow down in life. The Bible says Jesus was 
preaching, he was healing, he was teaching, he was doing all these different things. And it says when he came out, he saw. Slow down. You know what we do? Many times we're just so busy. I'm this way. Man, I'm in and out of Mr. D's. I got what I need. I got to get back to the house. I got to get this fixed. I got to get that done. And, and, I, and, I, and I, boom, here's, here's my ace card. Here's my money. See you later. Got to go. I'm out the door. I'm in the car. I'm back home. I'm working again. Hey, Wes, why don't you give her a track? Hey, Wes, why don't you invite her to church? Hey, Wes, why don't you go through Edwards? You go to Walmart, wherever it is. You go to the feed store, wherever you go. And what do we do? We're so busy. And you know what we do? Here's my fourth thing. Look at people. See, we're so busy that we fail to actually look at people. We don't see anybody anymore. We're in such a hurry and we're in such a rush about our own thing and our own business and our own lives that we don't actually see people. So we don't see the need. We don't see them struggling. You know, we, don't, we, we go through the check line and we don't see that, that, that the lady's eyes are bloodshot and it looks like she's been crying and maybe something's the matter. We don't, we don't see it. We don't notice it. That's one thing I love about my wife. My wife notices that about people. You can ask my wife, man, I, once I get it in my brain, man, I'm, that's what we're after. And for me to break away from that and pay attention to what's going on around me is hard for me. That, I mean, I have to tell myself, Wes, you gotta slow down. And we do. We get in such a hurry and we fail to show compassion towards people. So we need to remember our own need for, for mercy. We need to remember that God extended us mercy when we didn't deserve it. But then we also need to slow down and we need to see people. We need to see people. What's interesting is, really, I would say that this compassion could go either way. This com compassion, we can show this to a fellow believer who's struggling, who doesn't understand, who needs somebody to come and teach them truth and, and guide them along and, and give them a, some assistance. But this compassion could also be for somebody who's lost, who doesn't know Jesus as their savior, Somebody that we need to stop and ask them how their day is. Somebody that we need to stop and, and ask if we can pray for something for them. Give them a gospel track and show some compassion. Show some compassion. So you have compassion. But then secondly, you have coercion. So you have compassion. Now you have coercion. Co coercion. Can somebody tell me what co coercion is? If I can actually say it. Coercion. What is it? Anybody? Forcing somebody to do something? Okay. It is convincing. It is the idea of using force, though. And that's what you have in verse 23. Look at verse 23. And others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Listen, there are going to be people in life who you can show compassion to, and they're going to respond. And they're going to respond well. And they're going to appreciate it. But then you're going to come across somebody who doesn't appreciate it, you're gonna come across somebody, you're gonna to try to show them compassion. You know what they're gonna get? Belligerent, violent. They're gonna yell at you. They're gonna slam a door in your face. They're gonna yell and scream. They're gonna to wanna to be left alone. Um, I remember one time, I think it was Paul Crow. You guys know Paul Crow. Um, Paul Crow uh, was telling me that he was holding meetings, I think in West Virginia. And it was a small town, everybody kinda of knew everybody. And he said he and the preacher were walking into this restaurant or store, whatever it was, and the, and the preacher saw somebody he knew. 
And let's say his name's Bob. And he was like, hey, Bob, when are you going to get saved? Now, I wouldn't necessarily do that with anybody. But you know what? There are people like that. There are people who are stubborn, hard-headed. They don't care. They don't want to know. They don't want to hear. And sometimes you just have to put it very bluntly to them. The way things are. And so here you find you can be compassionate to some, and some you just need to jerk them out of the flames. You need to be very blunt. You need to be very forward with them and just tell them their condition. Notice what he says. He says, and others save with fear. Fear. This word fear is where we get our English word phobia. Any of you here have any phobias? How about arachnophobia? Anybody in here with arachnophobia? I hate spiders. I hate spiders. Do you realize if you were to go home tonight and if you went on Google and you typed in different types of phobia, you're going to find that there are thousands of phobias. We're afraid of everything now. I mean, it's crazy the stuff people are afraid of. But that's literally what this means. And he says, and some save with fear. And this fear means Fear. Fear of what? Fear of judgment? Fear of God? Fear of consequences? Fear. Um, in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, the Bible says this, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. They were walking in the fear of of the Lord. In 2 Corinthians 7:1, the Bible says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And those two words, those two words that, that those two uses of fear is phobia. Now listen, I understand that the Bible does teach that there is an aspect to the fear of God that is an awe and inspiredness, that we look at him and we say, wow, because he's God. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a part of fear that's just fear. And unfortunately, I think we have tried to take that out of the fear of God, and we've tried to throw it away and say, oh, no, 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 the fear of God is just being awed at who he is. No, 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 no. There's another aspect to the fear of God that says, wow, Look who he is, and there's another, wow, another part that says, whew, I don't want to make him angry. I don't want to disappoint him. Because he's God. Because he's God. I think we've lost that kind of fear of our God. Here it says that these, these people walked in the fear of the Lord. Here it says to prefer, perfect holiness in our lives in the fear of God. Ephesians 5.21 says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. 1 Peter 1.17, and if ye call on the Father who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. In fear. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that doesn't necessarily mean we treat God like we would a spider, Okay? Some people freak out, ah, and they freak out. It's a spider. They clam up. They can't do anything. Get a shoe, kill it. Game over. We're done. 
The other night we're sitting in the house and um, I'm sitting on the couch and Wesley goes, there's a spider. And I turn and it's right up there on the, on the top of the, the top cushion and it goes, psh, runs over the back of the couch. Now then I was like, why didn't you kill it? I mean, thank you for declaring to me that there was a spider. You did absolutely nothing for me though. All you did was tell me there was a spider. You didn't kill the thing. Just kill it. But that's what we do. We go, spider! That shouldn't be our relationship with God. It's not a phobia as in, oh, I'm afraid that he's just gonna, he's gonna bonk me on the head or he's gonna do this or he's gonna do that or he's just out to get me. It's not that kind of a fear. But it is a recognition, it is a respect that says he is God and he can, he could, he will, he might judge me. There are consequences for my actions. It's kind of like a father and a child. You know, when your child is young, I'll be real honest with you, when our children were young, I don't believe in trying to uh, convince them or discuss things with them. When my kid's seven, eight months old and he keeps pulling an electrical cord or he keeps messing with a socket or he keeps putting his hands somewhere he doesn't need to be putting his hands, I don't pick him up, set him up on the table and go, now, son, let's talk about the problems with electricity and let's explain this to you. No, you know what I do? I tell him no. Then when he goes back to it, I smack his hand. And then when he goes back to it, I smack his hand. Then when he goes back to it, I smack his hand to get him to realize that there's a consequence, there's a pain, and he doesn't need to do that. And there comes a point in time where finally, sometimes, not always, a lot of the times, the kids, when I tell them no, they'd say, dad said no, hand hurt, okay, me not do it, and they go on. There comes a point in time, though, when he's 14, I don't really smack his hand anymore. But we do talk about things, I do try to help him think through things and realize things. You know what? Our Christian life is a lot that way. When we first get saved, when we're young in the Lord, there is kind of a fear. He's God. But as that relationship grows, we should become mature enough that we shouldn't necessarily have to be afraid necessarily of God spanking us, or it shouldn't be about the spanking. It should be about the relationship. It should be about the relationship. So this phobia, this fear, save them with fear. But look at this, while you're trying to save them with fear, you are pulling them out of the fire. You are pulling them out of the fire. What is the fire? Well, I would contend that the fire could be two things. One, it could be God's judgment. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 and 27, the Bible says, for if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Listen to verse 27. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. So you realize in Hebrews 12, 29, the Bible says our God is a consuming fire. And the fiery indignation of God is a real thing. And God judges sin. And so if we continue in sin, if we're gonna live that lifestyle and disregard God's word and not listen to the Holy Spirit and do our own thing and make our own choices and live how we want to live, there are consequences for that. There he says in verse 26, for if we sin willfully. 
After that, we've received the truth. And so there is a consequence, just like when you tell your kids, if you do that, there's going to be a consequence. What happens when they disobey? Well, there better be a consequence. There better be. If there's not, you're going to have bigger problems. You better keep your word. Don't let your kids make you a liar. You tell them there's going to be consequences, let there be consequences. Don't let them make you a liar as a parent. And really, sometimes when it comes down to it, don't let your kids win. Man, sometimes my desire to win has to be greater than his. And that's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. But not only is there a fi- this fiery indignation when it comes to sin, but also you have hellfire. If this person is unsaved, if this person is not a Christian, then you have Gen- or Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, and whosoever was not found in the, written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And ladies and gentlemen, the lake of fire in hell are, is a real place. It is not make-believe. It's not Hollywood. It is a real place. If one thing should drive us to be compassionate towards people that we come across, that come into our lives, it should be the fact that if they don't know Christ, think about where they're going to spend eternity. Think about where they will spend eternity. That should scare us for people. That should bother us. So, you have this compassion, you have this coercion, but then the last thing I want you to see real quick is the care. There's a care that has to be taken. Notice the rest of verse 23. Hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. You see, when we try to reach out to people, when we show compassion to people, listen, there is an aspect of your life where you need to be careful. You need to have your guard up. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says this, be not deceived, evil communications. Anybody know the rest of the verse? They corrupt good manners. So I don't care how you try to explain it or what you try to do, but if you throw a good apple in a barrel of bad apples, you know what's gonna happen to that good apple? It's gonna become a bad apple. Okay? In Galatians chapter six, verse one, it says, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual... Restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. But listen to the rest of the verse. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So listen, when we reach out to people, whether it's a a believer or an unbeliever, when we reach out to people, we need to be careful. Because there is a chance that we too can be tempted. There's a chance that our flesh can become spotted. And there needs to be an attitude that we say, I don't want the garment, my flesh, I don't want my garment to become spotted with the flesh. And so we have to have our guard up. Um, I, I am not, and, and I think pa- I, I'm pretty confident Pastor would agree with me, but I am not for the reaching of people at any cost. I'm not. 
There are some situations and some things that I just have no desire to be a part of because of what it is, because of what they do or what they don't stand for. There are situations like that, and I'm just not going to be a part of it. Um, you know, there might be somebody who is in, involved in a sin or, you know, they have a certain problem, and if you were to help them, it would be a bad situation because you might have the same bend. You might have the same struggle. And so if you two got too close, there might become a chance that you two could be caught up in the same sin. And so we just have to be careful when we help people. Um, I've had, I've had women come into church before that wanted help with something. And I'll be real honest with you. It all, I'm so glad we have cameras in this place because it makes me nervous. Do, do I expect something to happen or whatever? No, I, I really don't. But it's just something I try not to take for granted. And I'm probably overly paranoid about it. But when I'm here by myself and a woman or a lady walks in, it does, it makes me uncomfortable. And I get very like tense and I get, I, I mean, like I'll be right out here where the cameras are all focused right here. Just because I wanna be extra careful because it scares me. And so here Jude says that we need to have a hatred for the flesh. We need to have a desire to keep our garments spotless. And so there needs to be a care in reaching out to other people. We need to be careful. And so here, Jude says, we need to have compassion. We can use coercion with certain people. We need to be more forceful with somebody. But through it all, we need to be careful. We need to guard ourselves as we reach out and as we seek to help people. So the fortifying of ourselves, the reaching out and the helping of other people, but then also lastly, verses 24 and 25, we'll see this next time, the glorifying of God through it all. He gets the glory, and we'll look at that next time. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word and for your love for us. Pray that you just bless our night, give everybody safety as they go home, and Lord, I just pray you get the honor and glory through it all in Jesus' name, amen.